How y'all doing tonight? Good, good. How about uh, John and Allie? Just give them a hand. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I was going to start tonight uh, with a verse out of uh, the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. If y'all can open to that. Give you a second to flip. And yeah, if you have a smartphone, you use U version. It's much easier. What chapter Matthew, please? Uh, Matthew 22, verse 34. And, uh, here it goes. Uh, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, that Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for bringing us here tonight. And I ask that you bless us. And I pray that you open our hearts and open our minds. That we may live here and live changed lives through you, God. And it's your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. I picked this verse because it is the greatest commandment. As Jesus says, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul. And uh, when Dan and I got together and realized that our committed that we're going to speak tonight, we're trying to figure out what we're going to speak about, what's in our hearts, what can we share with everybody. And uh, Dan came out came with a good idea, talking about sold out, being sold out to God, giving your life up for, for the Lord. And uh, he had a pretty good example about some teammates of his in football practice, but uh, I won't go any further than that, I won't be stepping on his toes with his story, but... Uh, but I thought it was a great idea. This is, this is good. Uh, you know, I feel like we've all been there for, or some of us have, feel like you've been saved and you've sold out your life to, to God. So I read this, uh, read this verse. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I ask myself, what is, it, what is this saying? What does being sold out mean? Does that mean on Sunday morning or Saturday evening when I'm at Project Salt, I'm giving my life to, to the Lord? Or just one day a week or 80% of the time or 10% of the time when you're tithing? No, it's saying all the time, with all your heart, with all of your soul. And uh, so he's asking for 100% of you. And this is uh, the greatest commandment. This is in a request by God. This is the greatest commandment. Now, 100% is pretty tough. So I kind of went from excited to a little unsure about this because am I really 100% committed to God all the time? Am I sold out to God all the time with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind? And uh, I mean, the answer is no. And so I kind of had this hang-up hang of, uh, you know, how am I going to go up here and talk to people 
Tell them to be sold out, you know. Love God. Be like me. Wait. Don't be like me. <laughs> uh, problem is, we all have, we're all imperfect. From the, first, from the original sin with Adam and Eve, we were created imperfect. We have problems with our pride. We have temptations, addictions. Uh, we make mistakes and we commit sins. And uh, every time we do these things, we're, uh, we're moving our relationship away from God. We are not 100% sold out to the Lord. And uh, one word that I just kept, on, kept coming to my mind was hypocrisy. I'm a hypocrite. We all are. We, are, we, we speak a good game, but, you know, every, every day we're just about we commit sins. We have some impure thoughts, this and that. But this is, this is nothing new to mankind. This is not new. This isn't unique to us in today's world in Greeley, Colorado. This has been going on since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve in that first, uh, first sin. And the good news is that God saw this. God knew he sent his son, Jesus, to redeem us for our sins. He sent his only son. He sent himself in, in the flesh who walked on this earth to redeem us f- for our sins. And uh, when Jesus came to this world, he walked, he uh, traveled to Jerusalem and he taught. And he taught his disciples how to, how to be more godlike. He showed the way both figured, uh, physically and figuratively. He's the only perfect being to ever walk on this earth. And uh, when I'm thinking about this uh, story that I, that I kept on coming to was uh, when Jesus actually arrived to Jerusalem. And uh, against, against the wishes of his uh, disciples, he went into Jerusalem. They, they knew he would be scorned there. But Jesus rode in, humbled on a donkey, and uh, he he rode in there, knowing that people were going to scorn him. But when he went in there, people were proclaiming, "Hosanna, the Son on the highest." That Jesus were proclaiming to this to Jesus, and uh, the reason they're proclaiming this. It's because they know, they've heard the word that this is the Messiah coming into Jerusalem. They're proclaiming Hosanna, Hosanna on the highest. And, uh, the Hebrew translation for Hosanna is save us. Save us, save us on the highest. And uh, I, I interpret that as what they're saying is save us, Lord. You are the Messiah. Save us from all things. They are, they are putting their hands up. Lord, I am yours. I'm all in. I know what you can do. You, you walk on water. You raise from the people from the dead. You heal the blind. Lord, save me from everything. And uh, they believe this, and this, they're pleading with their hearts. But it wasn't but a, about a day later that the same people are proclaiming, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" same people proclaiming Lord save us from everything I, I give you everything please help me Lord I'm, I'm not worthy 
But then the next day, they're saying, crucify him. And uh, I think some of us, I know myself, might still do this today. We, uh, we proclaim to God, I'm, Lord, I'm yours. You pray, you pray with every bit of your heart. And you believe it, you really believe it. And you ask him, Lord, just show me the way. I'm yours, I'll do whatever you want. But then life kind of happens. <laughs> and uh, we forget and we're, we're mad. You know, Lord, I gave my life to you. And uh, things still aren't fantastic. I still have money problems, lost my job, relationship problems, addictions are still coming around, eating at me. And then what we find out is they get mad at, we get mad at Jesus because he's not doing it the way we want to do it. We want the easy way out. God, here's everything. We say we're getting our life done, but really what we're saying is, hey, can you take all those annoyances away from me so I could just, you know, have an easy path, just live my life all good? But uh, God has his own agenda, and uh, we have to learn that. The painful truth is God loves not just the outcome of living our lives through him, but it's about the process. And that's the whole reason he gave us Jesus and sacrificed Jesus for us. It's for redemption. So we have the opportunity to redeem ourselves for our sins and become closer to God, to his holiness, and that we could be sold out 100%. And uh, I also thought about the Lord's Prayer. A line, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Now what it says here is we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say we're taking a jetpack and flying over it, secret passageway under it, or just avoiding it altogether. We have to walk through it. But we fear no evil because we have the Lord with us. And he will defend us through that valley of evil and defend us from evil if we just make a relationship with him. And uh, one more uh, passage if you guys want to turn to John 13, verse 2. John 13, verse 2. You all second. It says here, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the, the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel and, and that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, 
You don't realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, this is really interesting because here we have Jesus. He's our Messiah. And he's, he's, he's doing an act that only non-Jews do. Washing the feet of the disciples. And I just, I just love this uh, verse here because it's so symbolic of what Jesus has done for us. He's, he's not just cleansing their feet physically, but figuratively he's cleansing them of all their sins. Here are, these, here are the disciples that have been following Jesus, but yet their feet are still dirty and need cleansing. They followed literally in the footsteps of Jesus, and they still have to have their feet cleansed by Jesus, cleanse them of their sins. Now, I know every now and then I'll wander off the path, and my feet probably get more than dirty. But Jesus will wash our feet no matter how bad we are. He's, he's there waiting for us. He's symbolically showed us that he's willing to cleanse us, cleanse us of our sins. So no matter how far we drift astray from the path, we just have to turn around and go right back. And Jesus will show us the way. Um, Something I thought about was uh, using GPS or a navigation system. Anybody use navigation? Yeah, I know some people might need to if, uh, if you don't. But it's great. I, I love it. If I'm ever, <laughs> if I'm ever going somewhere I've not, never been before, it's a, it's a great tool. And uh, something that's really neat about it, especially today, man, they, they got it down pat. I mean, they have the best routes. And... Uh, if you, if you ever stray off the route, be it you're just going off your own way for no reason, construction, and you, know, you got to stop at a store, whatever, it always recalculates and redirects you how to get back on path automatically. Not just how to get back on path, but the fastest way. And uh, what I kind of thought, it's like... Uh, God left us our own navigation system right here. Uh, no matter how far we drift off the path, no matter if we're lost, we don't know what to do. We could be in a field somewhere where there's no roads. He's still re- redirecting us. He knows exactly the way back. And he will show you the way. All you have to do is turn to him. And uh, someone just I get it out of that is just no matter how bad you feel for sin, for addictions, or you, you're just down. You feel like, man, this is, I just keep repeating this, keep repeating, I keep going off my own way. God doesn't want you to give up. He's there for you. And He wants you to be all out for Him and love Him with all your heart, with all your soul. With all your mind. Thank you. Let's see. Let Danny speak now.
think that's number one. Oh, here we go. All right, thanks, Garrett. As you can tell, Garrett was uh, speaking on the, what it means to sell out from, an, uh, from the inside, more of a spiritual and emotional level. And God kind of put it on my heart to speak more of a, on the physical, on an action level, and uh, mainly the uh, act of giving. So what I want to talk about tonight is the physical changes that go through inside our brain, what actually happens inside our brain when we do make the conscious effort to give. Uh, next, I want to talk about an example of when, we, uh, when a boy does decide to give and uh, how God is able to multiply that. And then I want to hopefully bring this all home in Malachi and hopefully make this all make sense. Before I do, I want to make a quick disclaimer. Uh, I think at the end, if you feel like I've, all I've given you is like a spiritual butt whipping, so to speak, I think we've missed the point. I think God has um, designed this whole act of giving to be a very, very joyful and fun experience. So I want to read this uh, quote from a professor over at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Uh, her name's Carolyn Schwartz. She says, new research suggests that there may be a biochemical explanation for the positive emotions associated with doing good. In a recent study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, participants' brains were monitored by an MRI scan while they made a decision about donating part of their research payment to a charitable organization. When participants chose to donate money, the brain's mesolimbic system was activated, the same part of the brain that's activated in response to monetary rewards and other positive stimuli. Choosing to donate also activated the brain's subgenual area, the part of the brain that produces feel-good chemicals like oxytocin that promotes social bonding. Main point here is I don't think God intended for this to be painful. I don't think he intended it to be more of a suffering Act. I think there's plenty of other ways that we're going to have to serve that we're going to have to suffer and uh, be in pain. And I don't think this is one of them. If you would, turn in your Bible to John chapter 6. And uh, what I want to speak about, uh, most of you have heard about the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, we're basically, uh, this is one of Jesus' most famous miracles where he basically takes five loaves of bread, two fish, gives thanks, distributes them among the crowd... And everybody's filled. I mean, everybody eats and they eat and they eat. At the end of the night, they gather, well, I think it was like 12 basketfuls of crumbs. That's not really what I want to talk about. I, I started thinking about, I was like, where did Christ get the food? In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all it says is that his disciples had it. It doesn't say that, that God provided for it. It doesn't say how, but in John, it, does have, it has a small little detail here that I teed off on. And uh, it's John chapter 6, verse 8. And it reads, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Uh, which is such fantastic faith from one of his disciples. Now, um, this, this little boy gave the food. That's, that's where it came from. And I want to put a little value on this, uh, this meal. Uh, five loaves and two fish would have been enough to at least feed his family for that night, depending on how big his family were, uh, depending on how big his family was. Possibly the next day, uh, hopefully they ate the fish the first night. I don't know how well it keeps the next day. But it was enough. It was, it was quite a bit. He takes a very, very huge risk by giving it to Christ uh, or the disciples in order to perform this miracle. He basically said, well, your need is greater than mine, and uh, I'm going 
going to take the risk because he could have went back to camp or back to, back to his house, wherever he was going with the food that was intended probably for his family. And family was like, man, well, what's going on? Where's the food? So really huge risk. It doesn't say, unfortunately, it doesn't say any much about a reward. Um, however, I imagine there's something inside him that was just telling me, I, I have this feeling that Christ would have given him a couple of those baskets of crumbs and said, well done, well done, good job, guy. But uh, unfortunately, it doesn't, doesn't describe that. Um, let's bring this, uh, hopefully I can tie this all together now. Uh, if you can flip over to Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. I want to read a little bit about that and then give you some context as to what's going on. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 10 reads, Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You say, How are we robbing you? In your tithes and your offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe in the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. Now, now let's back up for just a second. I want to give kind of an give you an idea of what's going on here. The Hebrews have this overlying theme that they. Uh, this cycling theme throughout the whole New, uh, Old Testament, where they're walking with God up here on top, and everything is just happy-go-lucky, hunky-dory, they're holding hands, everything's great. Then they become prideful, and then they start to fall. And then somewhere around here, they get captured and enslaved and just beat down. Somewhere down here on the bottom, they decide, I don't like this anymore. I'd like to repent, and I would like to change, and and then they uh, all unify, they all kind of unite. God brings them a savior, a leader, and they defeat the, the nation and they're back on top. And it just keeps going over and over and over, much like, uh, you know, today with, I would say, my life. But anyways, I think when Malachi is written, I think they're right here on the bottom. I think that uh, right now the Jews are questioning God's judgment. They're questioning his leadership. They're questioning his love for them. They have basically accused God of forsaking them and turning his back on them, when in reality we know that it is they who have turned their back on God. So the book of Malachi, it seems to have this continuous warning, more of like a, if you keep doing this, you're going to keep getting this. If you continue to forsake God, you're going to keep getting slapped down, beat down, and enslaved. Why is this hard? That's, that's kind of the theme that I get in Malachi. And then he says, Chapter, uh, verse 8, will anyone rob God, yet you are robbing me? Then verse 10, but, we all know how Aaron likes his butts, so let's throw a but in there. Bring the full tithe in the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and thus put me to the test. Now, now pause here, I, I don't know of many other places where God says, test me. Uh, he, most of the time he says, do not test me, much like my mom and dad did. And they said, boy, don't test me. And I test them. I got a butt. Well, anyways, that's a different story. He says, says, the Lord of hosts, see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. Now, wait, hold on one second here. Why does he say give? Why, why does he say give? This is going to end up getting you out of captivity. Why doesn't he say build an altar, build a temple, show how mighty I am? But why, why does he say give? And this morning I kind of had an aha moment. Uh, giving is one of the most recognizable signs throughout the human race is love. Whenever I physically take my widget, my thingy, whatever I have, and I say my need is less than yours, you take it. I show compassion towards you or whoever, and, and I show love. 
And then, but, but it still didn't make sense to me. How is this going to get or start getting a, a nation out of captivity? And then this morning I was thinking about it. I was like, Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 20, where, where, it, uh, where Paul is writing about uh, uh, revenge and vengeance mine. And God says, vengeance is mine. Right, you know what? Let's flip over there. I forgot to flip over there. Ver, uh, Romans 12, 19 and 20. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, give food to them, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink, for by doing this, you heap burning coals on their heads. It's not about the guys. It's, God was just thinking three steps ahead whenever he was talking about it in Malachi. When me and my small brain, I'm just, it doesn't make sense how giving is going to, it didn't make sense. It's not about the people he's fighting. It's about the spiritual warfare. You see, whenever we show love, when acts of love are happening, Christ's name is going to be spread because where love is, Satan won't be there. He will not be there. He hates it. So the battle is not directed at the people. It was directed at, uh, at the, at the uh, demonic forces. And I'm going to go ahead and ask John and Allie to come back up. Uh, and we're going to enter into a time of worship here pretty quick. But, you know, God's not going to ask us to give unless he's already done something like that. He, he doesn't ask us to do things if he hasn't already given. And he did give. He decided that a relationship with us was more important than his son living. So he gave his son up to, uh, uh, for death to pay our price that uh, we owed. So he gives, and now we have the opportunity to uh, enter into a relationship with him. So right now I want to invite you. I'm going to stand at the back while we're worshiping. Uh, if you don't know this Jesus, my Jesus, I would invite you to come back and let's talk about it. Let's do some business and let's, let's introduce you to Jesus. If you just need prayer, I'll be back there. Let's pray. Uh, we, normally we have uh, uh, bread and, and grape juice at the back. We don't have that today, unfortunately, but we do have a tithing box if you do feel led to uh, worship through tithes. But anyways, I'm going to turn this over to John and Allie, and John will close us when we're done.